All right, let's open our Bibles to the book of Psalms. We are going to read from Psalm... All right, let's do 46. I'm just looking for... There are so many, like I said last time, in which he talked about refuge. And we're talking about the fact that God is our refuge. Now all of us are going to read it together. All right, Psalm 46. If you are there, say amen. Amen. All right, we have about um, 11 verses. All right, we have 11 verses. Let's all read it together. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. For there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Amen. 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 Let's read that last verse again. One, two, let's go. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Amen. Now, before we take our seats, let's take our declaration of understanding. As usual, I want to let's go. The Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, and I've been filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 All right, the Lord is good. Let's take our seats. The first meeting we had this year, which is the last one in this series, we began to look at, of course, our school of prayer. So we began to look at God. As our refuge. God is our refuge. And I want us to remember, I said something last time that God is a jealous God. It's one word that, or an expression about God I learned when I was a little child. And it was confusing. Because I grew up knowing that jealousy is a bad thing. But of course you must understand that when God is doing something, it's not the same as when a human being is doing it. For example, if God loves, it's because he wants to give. Natural human love is kind of self-preserving. It's fulfillment of my desires. But divine love is, you know, is giving. That's what God does. Like we studied last year, that, you know, just by thinking about it, when they say God created us to worship him, I said that's not his character. It's not his character. It's just not his character. Not his character. 
How can he create you so you can worship him? So he's worship hungry, so he created worshipers. No. God created us because he wanted to impact himself into some other beings, some other people. And that's why we were created. We were created to be able to receive the nature of God. Now, worship for us is a method of transformation. Worship is not for the good of God. Worship is natural. I hope you're getting my point. Worship is natural. If you're not worshiping, you know the truth, something's actually wrong with you. It's like drinking. Do you follow my point? It's like drinking. If you really are alive, you will get thirsty. You will desire water. If you really are alive, you will desire worship. You will want to worship God. And why you need to worship is because that is the only pathway to becoming what God created you to be. So God has his own nature, very different from that of human beings that have not yet become transformed into his full likeness. So when we say God is a jealous God, his own jealousness, I'm sure that English is okay. If it's not okay, it became okay after I said it. All right? His own form of being jealous, all right? I don't want to say jealousy. His own jealousness is a good thing. Do you follow? It's like a mother telling the children, don't take something from a stranger. It's not because, I mean, I want anyone to give you something. It's for your own safety. Don't follow a stranger. When Jesus said, my sheep, they know my voice. They don't, he doesn't want you to hear another voice so that you don't get confused. The day Adam and Eve heard another voice, they got confused. So he had to ask them, who told you you were naked? Nothing changed in them, really. Somebody has begun to speak to them. Their normal life became nakedness. I don't know whether you're getting my point. We used to say that after they sinned, the glory left. Nothing left anywhere. What changed was what they were hearing. Their eyes became open to a different realm. A different level of, I don't want to use the word truth, or facts. Their interpretation. suddenly differed. That was why when the Lord came, what was the question? Who told you? He wasn't hiding it from them. He said, somebody has corrupted your, your pure mind. Who told you you were naked? And it's very common with husbands. If I start behaving one way, they start looking at the woman. Where have you been going? Somebody's talking to you. That I know you, you don't talk like this normally. There's a new influence in your life. That's what Jesus was saying. When the Lord came and said, who told you you were naked? I hope you're getting my point. So, you see, when he says, my sheep know my voice, it's not because it's like, I want to be the only voice in their lives. <laughs> I'm the only one that truly love you. I will not leave you astray. will not lead you astray. So, God's jealousness, please, allow my English to stay. Alright? His own method of being jealous is for your good. I think this story, I hope my mother won't mind my telling, telling this story. One day, it's not a very terrible thing, so God will forgive me. One day my mother did something. I was so angry. I didn't talk to her. She came to visit in Enugu. We made an arrangement by which she will come, but she's she always trying to make sure she doesn't stress me. Okay. So it's all right. She said she will get to... That she don't worry. You will take a vehicle straight from home to Onitsha. All right? I said, okay, no problem. Once you get to Onitsha, this is what you will do. You go to this place. Just say you are going to Enugu. Pay for all the seats. She wasn't coming, to, coming with two other people. So just pay for all the seats. Don't worry about it. I'll have somebody waiting for you where they will first stop. That's um, 
Newmarket. On her way, she was just this with somebody in the vehicle. I'm going to Enugu. I'm supposed to take a vehicle. That person, there's no vehicle there. Nobody goes to Enugu from that place. So make a long story short. That day, she suffered in Indonesia. She was kind of one of my younger sisters. So that one didn't hear the instruction. That one came to join them for the trip. So along the line, after the, finally, she now heard the instruction that I gave. That I said, when you get here, please, this is what you will do next. This was after one hour. She said, why didn't you people tell me that in the first place? She walked straight to where I said, there were taxis waiting there. I told the taxi, please take me to any good. The taxi is coming. And just what I said happened. It was supposed to be an absolutely stressless journey. I was even willing to send a vehicle down home to go and pick up from there. She felt that, no, no, it was quite some hours journey. That, no, 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 that's not a big deal. Now. They can just come straight to each other. So when she came to Enugu, I was not telling me the story of what happened. I was so angry, I just walked away. I said to her, the person who told you that stuff, do you know his name? She did not know his name. If anything happened to you, will he spend a dime to try and rescue you? Nothing. If he follow you along the way, will it bother him? No. You are my responsibility. You should have followed my instructions. That day, I was angry. Do you know, it's at a point in time in life, I began to understand why God reacts one particular way. Because I had everything laid down. It was supposed to be a totally stressless journey. But she heard the voice of a stranger. That's why God gets jealous. That's why he's jealous. If you have ever held a position of authority, you will understand. You know what you will say? But I told you. But I told you. As you are saying it, the anger inside you, which is from heaven, is boiling. But I told you. That's what Mike Mudok said. The 10% of the job of a boss is to give instructions. That 90% is to repeat them. Because human beings don't listen. You know, you say, but I told you. Kenneth Hagin, great prophet in his days, he taught a lot, but it's his prophetic words that stick with me till tomorrow most. I also believe so strongly in his teachings. That prophetic style was so powerful. He said one day, now listen to this. Please follow me. We're going to do these teachings. God helping me. Maybe starting about two days from now. I want to go to what I call revision of the ABC of faith. It's important. He had a special anointing. What was that special anointing? The Lord Jesus appeared to him. This is the reason why you have life. I've called you to do this and that. Bring out your hand. He brought out his hand. The Lord put an anointing inside it. Let's make a long story short. He said, anytime you put a hand across somebody's body, and you feel fire jump from one hand to the other, then there is an evil spirit living in that body that's causing that sickness. So you, you won't just pray for the person to be healed. You will cast out the demon in my name. And when you do, the demon will go. So they said, okay. He learned that, and he was ministering like that. Then one particular day, a man walked in. His back was stiff. He couldn't bend it. He had a kind of, we have medical names for them, but he had a stiff back syndrome. Stiff. 
So the man came for prayer so that he might, he might be healed. He put a hand here, put a hand there. As soon as he put a hand, fire jumped from one hand, threw the man's body into his hand, to the other hand. He knew what the Lord said. He's an evil spirit. So he cast out the demon in the name of the Lord. And then he tested whether the man was healed. The man was not. The man could still not bend. Ah. So he went through the procedure again. He put his hand on the man. Fire jumped through to two hands. All right, like electrodes. <laughs> and he said, there is an evil spirit here. And he cast out the demon in the name of the Lord. And told the man, now check whether you are okay. The man said, I can't still bend. He did it three times and he got confused. So he told the man to please go to his seat while he ministered to other people. He said, as he was ministering, as he was just preaching and praying for people, suddenly the Lord appeared to him again. The Lord just said something to him simply. I told you, now please, I told you, here I preached before, that one thing that scares me, I don't want to hear in my life, is for God to say, but I told you. That but, it gives me good, good pimples, sitting alone by myself, thinking about it. It scares me. The Lord just appeared to him. No preliminaries. No, I've heard of your faith. And the love towards the saints. Nothing like that. The Lord just said to him simply, I told you it will go. Then he made the mistake you should never make. He said, but it did not go. The Lord said, I told you it will go. He said, I mean, like, you were here. Oh, the rest of you, you, because nobody else could see him. They only heard him talking. They didn't know who he was talking to, talking with. They, did, they didn't hear what the Lord was saying. He could see, he could hear. But the congregation could hear his responses. He said, but it did not go. He said, the third time. He said, people have asked him before. You've seen the Lord. He said, yes. What does it look like? He said, it's difficult to describe. He said, the only description he has is that when you look into his eyes, it's as if you want to drown in love. That it looks like deep wells full of love. As if you want to fall inside. So that's the only thing he can say. Normally. He said, this time around, those eyes turned red. And flames were leaping out of the eyes. And this time around, the Lord brought out his finger and put it right in his face, almost touching his nose. And said, I told you it will go. And the vision ended. Now he was confused. He's like, God, come back. Where are you going? You were here? He didn't go. Then he, he paused. He thought. And the Holy Spirit helped him to understand. He called the man back. He went through the routine again. Put his hand across the man's body. Fire jumped from one hand to the other. He said, there's a demon in here. He put his hand on the man and said, in the name of Jesus, you spirit of infirmity, making the back of this man stiff, I command you in the name of Jesus, depart from here now. He told him, my brother, now you are healed. Bend down, touch your toes. The man bent down, perfectly healed. Before, he was checking. Did he go? And the Lord said, when I say it, it is done. What are you doing checking? He said, bend down, touch your toes. The man bent down. <laughs> well, I've learned enough about this life to, you know, all these things. Eh? Look, there's nothing real out there. Only the word of God is real. God can change that whole thing. Bam, like this. In an instant, the man was healed. In an instant. Why? Because he took the Lord at his word. The Lord didn't give him a, He said, no, you don't, you don't play. Let us check when I told you. I told you. And that's why he's jealous. 
doesn't want to listen to anybody else. It's not because like he's feeling too good with himself. You know, I'm the, I'm the only God. You know, try me. Hey, no. He's not. Hi, how do I say it? He's not trying to feel. Do you know the meaning of the word feel? The slang. Say they feel. You know, you are, you are feeling quiet. You know, you're the booga, you know, that kind of thing. You are, you are swelling. Like somebody, you are prouding. The Lord doesn't get involved in all these prouding things. He knows who he is. But sometimes he will introduce himself to you so you don't get confused. An illustration I use is that sometimes I've been to, of course, you don't wear a badge. Just go around. You meet people in places, maybe in a public place. People are confusing somebody. It's happened to me many times. Maybe I'm in a pharmacy. Somebody comes and the pharmacy attendant, who does not know the difference between one drug and another. I've seen them many times. And people will foolishly walk in there say, please, person sick. Which message should I buy? So many times, I'll just, instead of minding my business, I'll just say, just a minute, what are you trying to do? I'll just do a small rundown of the person's symptoms. I say, okay, I don't, don't listen to that girl. She doesn't know what she's saying. I'll now, yeah, I, I've done it many times. So I'll now give the person a bit of counsel. And I say, look, next time, please, just go to the hospital, okay? But for now, just take this. And I always add something to it. Don't worry, I'm a doctor. Is it pride? Am I trying to booger? I just want the fellow to have faith in the things that I said. As I remember, I went to a barber shop. It happened. One woman came to ask the barber how to treat the skin problem on the baby's head. And I'm looking at the woman like, are you together? You came to the barber. Sometimes mom is crazy. So the way we behave. You came to the barber. Of course, he will sell you whatever he has in his shop. You give you shampoo, scalp treatment, you know those kind of things that they have. I went to bath somewhere recently, but that guy finished the ceremony on my hair. I said, my son does this thing. <laughs> In 10, 15 minutes, this guy was on me for like 45 minutes, and I was going to church. I'm not joking. I had to call the guy driving me to church. I said, please tell him we are going for church service. Down, I had to whisper to him, say, bros, this guy is going to preach. He don't do. He do me like this, do me like that, do this, do that. <laughs> Rub my head, massage my head, tap my cheek. <laughs> what did he not do? Just so I can pay the one thousand naira complete. <laughs> so that day, when I saw the woman there, I just told the woman, "Please, madam, excuse me. This is how you treat this." I saw it. I said, "No, no. Give me a piece of paper. Buy this medicine. Use this size of tablet. Give him for three weeks." Don't worry, the whole thing will disappear. She's looking at me, then I add the fantastic phrase. What is that phrase? Don't worry, Don't worry I'm a doctor. Then the face we, you know, oh, thank you. Then suddenly, sir, go enter the gist. <laughs> thank you, sir. That's all God does with us. He says, you don't have help anywhere else. I am God, there is none else. That's what he's saying. I am God, there is none else. Every other person is not God. No country is God. No profession is God. No city is God. No person is God. Whatever you are looking for, ask me. I will do it. They can't do it. Sometimes I use them so you guys get confused. But they are not God. So he keeps shouting, I am God and there is none else. And when he loves you specially, he gets even more jealous. Do you understand my point? I mean, just what I, t- I, I told you that I gave counsel to on the road. What concerns me? 
If they don't listen, in Arana, what do concern me? Is there a problem? But if it was my wife or my children, they must listen. They, they must listen. They must listen now. You know why they must listen? Because there's an African proverb that says that if your person is eating bad thing and you don't talk, then at midnight, when the twist, twist of the intestine starts, all of us will not sleep. Up. So if it is in my house, ah, no, 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 no. You will, no, no, sorry. We will discuss this thing until we iron it out. And if it's young children, all of that is to make it's for your own good. But it's a person on the street, and that's why God uses the word jealous for his own people. Oh, yes, that's why he uses the word jealous for his own people. The unbeliever that doesn't want to listen to him is the one that will fall into a pit and die there. And the person what, what what is his business? But when it's his own children, he's jealous. Like I said last time, he has placed a curse. Please bear this in mind. Curses have origin. You must bear this in mind. He has placed a curse on anything we his children will have hope in apart from him. So if you want to place a curse on something, just put your faith in that thing. Hope is derived from your faith. Just put your hope in that thing. Once you do that, that thing comes under a curse. If it's your power, your energy, your ability to get things done, your intelligence, it comes under a curse. If it's your relationships, it comes under a curse. If it's a profession, it comes under a curse. Your certificate, it comes under a curse. You know? Hmm. If Christians gather to support you in politics, be afraid. They are likely to be the ones that will make you lose. Do you understand? Yes. <laughs> of course, nobody will believe what I'm saying amongst these political people. If the church they want to gather and support you as a candidate, say leave it. Tell them leave it. Serious church, I don't mean some you know, everybody's church. Everybody's church. Unbelievers, they go to church, their church. You know, are you getting my point? But if real church people want to say, just look at them and say, guys, I'm not contesting again. If I annoy them so that they will not put hope in you. Because when they do, what happens? A curse comes upon your path. Aye, it's not good. They give you more prayer points. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, instruct those who are rich in this world. He said, instruct, let's read it quickly. So that they will not put their hope in the uncertainty of riches. And he wasn't talking about poor people. He was talking about those who are what? Rich. First Timothy chapter 6. He said from verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world. Not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. But on God. Who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Let me stop reading that verse 18. But see it here. Paul had to write to them, don't put your hope in your riches. Why? The riches are uncertain. They can fail you anytime. They can fail. They can fail. You have all the money to treat an illness. When God wants to bring the illness, he brings the one that there's no cure for, no matter how rich you are. 
when Steve Jobs died of Apple, Apple had a hundred billion US dollars in cash. The man did not believe in paying out dividends. In fact, I told somebody, was that why he died? Now, that's not, I'm, I'm just, it's a question. Don't go as a pastor. Banky said that the reason I didn't say so, I asked the question. Because when a man packs that amount of money, Apple made a lot of money selling the iPhones. They had come with the iPad. They still had their other devices, the computers, and they made a lot of money. The man refused to pay dividends. Those who invested in Apple only got money from selling the shares they had because the value kept on going up. So they could get money from that. You have to sell something. Now, what I'm talking about is he died of a sickness. Money was not a problem. He fell sick and died. If there was treatment that money could buy, they had the money. If it was to build a lab to rap- rapidly develop drugs, they, he could afford it. But they had a sickness that money could not buy the treatment. So he died. So that's why I said, for the believer, God is jealous in your life. See, Christianity is a life of discipline. It's a life of discipline. What I mean is this. You have to be deliberate to check yourself periodically. Say, where is my faith? Where is my hope? There are times you will do some things radical. People wonder, why are you doing this? You just want to tell yourself, my hope is not in this thing. You may have a foreign passport and the, the, the Holy Spirit, it's not every time the Holy Spirit come and whisper. It's not every time he will come to whisper. But just from teaching, you say, take that passport, return it to the country. Say to them, I no longer wish to be a citizen of your country. You know, people do it. So you put the passport in an envelope, write a long letter, send to the embassy in your country, maybe like in Nigeria now. You send it to the Americans in Nigeria. Say, please, oh, I'm hereby relinquishing the citizenship of the United States, which I had by birth, or whichever way. And they'll be like, what? There are some advantages anyway. Many people don't know they break laws every day. America expects you to file your tax, tax returns every year, even if you live in Nigeria, once you have their passport. Which was why Tina Turner, as an old woman, she was living in Switzerland. One day she did just what I told you. She went and told them that, please take, I don't want again. <laughs> she was born an American. She lived in America, made her fame as an American. Then as an older woman, she married a, a Swiss man, and she moved over to Switzerland. After many years, she said, what am I doing? She carried the passport and returned it. She said, I'm not interested anymore. What, the reason she gave is that the work of maintaining that citizenship was too much. Because she's a very wealthy person. So every year I have to be filing tax returns. And No, 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 I don't want to do that. It doesn't mean she can't go to America again. It just means now she will need a visa. So it's doable. For some people, Nigerians say, ah, do, say, wait, ah, lie, lie, lie. Once you do that lie, lie, you're in trouble. There's some lie, lie you do, you, you've just entered. God said, no, you return it. This lie, lie you have done, you return it. That is, mm, this is, I say, Christianity is a life of discipline. A lot of us don't take the law seriously. He will sit down there and say, return it. Say, Lord, I was just joking. He say, okay, I didn't find it funny. Return it. And if you say no, he caps you at a place you will never find out. People don't know that. 
He thinks everything earthly, that's an advantage. I think it was Watchmani, either him or somebody, was doing a PhD. Shortly before finishing it, the Lord looked at him and said, what are you doing here? He walked away from a PhD he was about to finish. Because I don't want this kind of thing. You collect certificate now, cause confusion for you. God said, eh, I don't want. I don't know how far he had gone. He walked away from the PhD. A man walked in here one day to speak with me. He had trained in the denomination for years. He was about to be ordained. He had like a year to go for ordination. I don't know how he knew it, but the Holy Spirit told him, you will not go through with that. So I think he heard me on radio or something. So he found this place and came to see me. Like I have spent, I forgot how many years in the training. Maybe like seven years. I have a year to go. God said, no. Now get out. He said, I have not, I don't know what I get my point. It's like go to university, you didn't finish. So if you were there for eight years, that's your problem. The only thing is that certificate. He said, now the Lord said I shouldn't collect it. So what will I do? If I live here, where will I go and apply for work? The experience I gathered all these years is not applicable anywhere. So I stood at the back there talking with him that day. And I said to him, I have no answer for you. Yeah, I told him that. That there's nothing I can tell you that do this, do that. No. If you are convinced it's the Lord, let me add new words. He's not stupid. He plans something ahead. But the way he behaves is that he won't let you know the plan until you have done it. I never saw him after that, so I don't know exactly what he did, but I, I, I pray that he took the counsel. And let me say something to, you, to everyone listening to me. God brings everybody to that kind of point in life. He does so. And please, anybody preaches to you that the mercy of God means that anyone you choose, it will be alright. It's not true. It's not true. If anybody tells you that anyone you choose, it will be alright, it is not true. If you have to pray for a whole week or a whole month so you can choose the right, please do it. Many times, if you take the wrong road, you know, there, there's something that the Lord does. Sometimes you take the wrong road in his mercy. He said, you will survive it. Alright? But this junction, you are coming back there to take the right one. I don't know whether you are getting my point. He said, don't worry about it. You will survive it. But that will be seven years of work about. At the end of seven years, events will lead you back to today. Then we will start again. If you take the wrong road again, I'm patient. You work again seven years. So, what I'm going to say is that don't think you will choose the one that doesn't please him and then it will be okay. That is a wrong preaching of mercy. It's a wrong preaching of grace. Christianity is a life of discipline. In fact, the reprint says it's marked by the things you give up. That the point in, in your life that you stop giving up things, you've stopped making spiritual progress. It says spiritual progress is always marked by something that you give up. And then he was analyzing the life of Abraham. Abraham first had to let go of his father, his father's house, but he came out with his father. They had to let go of his father. His father died on the way. Then he moved on with Lot. Then he had to let go of Lot. Then he, he got Ishmael by a way the Lord did not ordain. He had to let go of Ishmael. 
And the thing he had hoped for all his life, Isaac, God still told him, you will let go of Isaac. Spiritual progress. That's how it is. So Christianity is not, see, it's a discipleship. It's a serious life. It's not convenient. It's not a life of ease. It's wrong to preach the gospel to people as if come to church, then everything will become a life of ease for you. It's not true. A young man spoke with me once, or at least I was there when he was speaking. He said, once somebody told him, go to that church. They will make you rich. He said that was when he first came to the church. That the first day he had people there preach, I think I was amongst the preacher. He said, he looked at me that these people are crazy. That is the kind of things that we said. But he stayed. I look back now, I said the foundation was wrong. He came to church because somebody told him, if you follow, you will be rich. And of course, he heard some of the things we preached. These are real success principles. In fact, those early days, the radio program that Kingdom World had, I used to teach on, was called The Way of Success. There was a break after Cosmo FM went down. When we came back, I dropped the name Way of Success. I said, it's causing confusion. People think I'm teaching motivational stuff. So that's why we change it to the secrets and truths of the kingdom of God. Yeah, that's the name now. That is the real name. That way of success. When I was saying it, what I call success is following the will of God for your life. But the average person on the street thought that success meant Omo Aguhama. Me say, if I go drive Bentley, my Lamborghini is coming. That was not what I meant. And once I went somewhere to preach, and I saw the bulletin they had preached, they are printed. I saw where my name was listed and they put motivational speaker. I made all of them bring it up. Bring out your pen. Everybody cancel it. Cancel it. God will forgive you. Just cancel it. I'm going to give me the name my father did not give me. I'm not your motivational speaker. How much motivation will you give to Lazarus to make him walk? Lazarus, you can do it. Even though your brain has decayed, you can come out of the, of the grave. Lazarus, ah, if you fix your mind on it, you can accomplish it. You will perspire to acquire that desire that you admire and never retire, but you will refire. Oh, Lazarus, begin to... Now, decay brought day. It just a decay they go. But without all that talk, Lazarus, come forth. The one that was dead, rotten, we come down, find himself at the door. Not by himself because he said, lose him and let him go. He got there not by his own effort. I preach the life that is in Christ. You know, that young man that day, he came to church. A few years later, he was thoroughly backslidden. The principles worked for him for a while. But there was no life. Then he backslid and began to deny God. Literally. He began to get into discussions of whether there is God or there's no God. When you get to that level, honestly, Satan has seized hold, has, has taken hold of your basal ganglia, the bottom of your brain. Yes, he has, because there are discussions you don't get into. What was the reason? Because somebody lied to him and said, hey, when you get to church, they will make you rich. So he followed the God of wealth. You want to know the truth? Christianity is self-denial. And don't be afraid to preach it. The Holy Spirit is one that does the conviction. Many people you think that you need to entice to church. They have more problems at night you don't know. Many people shine it during the day. They don't sleep at night. 
Suicidal spirits will not leave them alone. Every day they are there thinking of how to die. When you tell them, give up your life and give it to the Lord Jesus Christ. They will catch it. You think that you need to entice them. Some of the gospels we preach is the gospel of poor people. You know, materially poor people. It, cannot, it can't be preached where people are generally prosperous. When I say all this, I give so you can collect. I say, Bill Gates won't come to your church. He did not give, he collected. Warren Buffett won't come to your church. He didn't give, he received in abundance. Some nonsense we preach. You just say, look, that's how you know your gospel is true or false. This is what you are preaching. People have eaten, they won't listen to you. When people follow Jesus right because of food, they say, hey, stop this nonsense. He drove them away. I said, no food. If you want to eat, you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Everybody disappeared. He said, good. That's where I like it. What I'm going to say here is this. Christianity is a life of discipline in which you get up every day and say, what do I have my hope in apart from God my Father? Is it the education that I have? Is it? Is it in the education that I have? Is it the connection that I have? You will have to deliberate. Some people are very connected. Eh? And God says, you know what we are going to do? We will win you of all these connections. How do we do it? Bring your phone. Delete their numbers. Delete. Yeah, begin to delete. So I said delete. IG or police, delete. Next, delete. When you finish deleting, the next day you now get into trouble with one corporal. And you'll be wishing that yesterday, if it was just yesterday. If yesterday, ah, this is a lot for here from my hand. But now God has, in the Bible, say, humble yourself under the mind. No, that thing, eh, it's not something you do at the place of prayer alone. You do it everywhere. You will get to the to a checkpoint. You will see the man, no stripe, nothing. I don't know about police, at least in, in the army we call them private. What do they call them police? When well, you don't have anything. No rope, no rank, no stripe. Constable, thank you. You will get the officer. Good morning, sir. God said, now you are humble. Now you are humble. What's in your boots? Ah, your boys are not carrying anything. No. Because this, this my boy is humble now. <laughs> He's humble now. You shake his hand and you are nice to him. Before you used to move around like that, when they tell you to stop, you look at him in the mess I eat with AIGs. Because now I have deleted the number of the AIG. What are you going to do? That's what God does with his children. Anything you have hope in apart from him, he has placed a curse on it. I learned very early in life that connection doesn't help. It doesn't help. I can tell you stories in which it appeared as if I used connection, but don't worry, I did not. I prayed. God was the one that used that connection, not me. He connected the connection. The way God does things, sometimes you'll be surprised. One day I went to Suka to go and see the vice chancellor. I, I mean, I knew him well. Enough to, if you see my wife on the road, you stop my wife. Hi, how are you? How's your husband? That's how much I knew him. So I needed something from him. I went, sat there the whole day. Well, not the whole day, hours. He came in through the back, left through the back. I wrote a letter. So one man, I got there, the man said, what do you want? I said, I want to see the vice chancellor. He said, okay, wait. So later on, the letter, he said, what do you want? 
And I told you what I wanted. I said, that was what I asked you at the beginning. Like this, I did, I, you didn't want to tell me, Abby? Now the man has gone. Can you tell me? I said, okay, okay. It's exactly what I want. He said, write this letter, do this, do that. Now, this is where I'm going to finish. I was walking out. And I saw my provost. Hey, what are you doing here? I told him what I came for. He said, ah, don't you have his number? I said, I do. He said, send a text message. Said, what did you say, sir? Send him a text message. Explain everything in a text message. So I brought out my phone, sat down, crafted one very nice, long text message and sent. I think when I go home, back to Enugu. Okay, that was next morning. So I sent the message. My mind, hey, hey, hey. Do you know, because if you send me a message like that, me, I would wonder, what is, I mean, if it's serious to you, why is, the man, send him a message, don't worry about it. I sent a message. As I was about to drive out of my house, like 15, 20 minutes later, I got his reply. That's not a problem. Remind me when I come back. I'm traveling abroad tomorrow. Back in about two weeks. Huh? I had traveled all the way to Nsuka, waited for a whole morning. I was not able to see him thinking I had. So when the, the method I wanted to use failed, somebody said, come, come, come. That's not the do. Just send this message. Before then, I had learned to pray. Forget that. Thing. Now, I'm not going to say something here. Of course, he said, okay, hey, you knew the man. What about the other man in the same institution that did not know anybody, a young man, who went to the market and is a person who was selling books in the market that told him that he said, what's your problem? He said, look, at I'm trying to get an admission to this school. He said, eh, okay, why didn't you tell me all this while? So what can you do about it? You're a bookseller in the market. Eh, so? Just see me in the evening. Evening, the boy came, put him on the back of his motorcycle, rode into the campus, rode into the, the vice chancellor's house and said, this is my boy needs admission. Please do it for me, I beg. It turned out that he and the VC were mates, I think, in primary or secondary school. True story. See, I said, Christianity is a serious discipline. You will make up your mind. Eh? God, please, where did I put my hope? That night I said earlier is not a joke. Some people, God said, that passport, <laughs> some of you, your mother that even got it for you, and your mother will deny you when you finish. No, that time, you know, when she was pregnant, your father didn't have money. They prayed and prayed and prayed until God brought money. And then she packed herself and went to America to go and deliver you so as to give you a chance in life. God was setting them up. Say, these people will frustrate the two of you. Just go on. Go on. Just go on. Say, this boy, you want to give chance in life. He will give you up. He will give the chance back to you. Just watch it. So now you are... You are 19, you are 20, you are becoming a big man, you know, a man now. So your mother is now saying, hey, you see, look at the way the country is going. Thank God I decided to go and deliver that. Some people were telling me I was very foolish. And God said, you were very foolish. You just don't know it yet. And I'm going to prove it to you very soon. Because in all your prayer and fasting, you did not know that you dedicated the boy to the Lord. You forgot that part. You forgot that part now. And the Lord now comes and says, oh boy, you are mine. Before you were born, I knew you. Then your father and your mother carried you to church when you were two months or three months, just like Samuel. And the pastor was saying, and they were repeating after him, in the name of Jesus, this boy, we give you to the Lord. You did the purpose of God. He said, Lord, I was hearing everything. Do you want me to play for you? <laughs> so your father gave you to me. Your mother gave you to me. And I gave you to them first. So, see, you are my own. Say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Give me the passport. Say, you're a big boy now. 
You can vote, can't you? You say, yes, send it directly. Write this letter. Then after you finish, you go and tell your mother, the Lord said to me, he said, hey, my son is hearing from God. Amen. Who is the girl? It's not you. <laughs> yeah, God is, I ain't going anywhere. What happened? I am no longer an American citizen. No, no, it's not a problem. Your passport expired. We can get it re- renewed. No, I returned it to them that I do not want it again. Ah, oh my way. What is all this? <laughs> this one wants to kill me. He said, no, 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 mommy, I'm not killing you. You will live and not die. And the Lord will come and do the two of you, you and your husband, like this. No, they got on. Maggie, thank you. What is Meg for double people? Maggie is one person now. Megu is two people. <laughs> oh, see, they are building something now that this one will to be security for my tomorrow. God said, one day I will make you go to church. I will bring a false preacher. That man is laughing for a reason. I'll bring a false pastor that knows how to preach. He will collect the house from you. You will give us an offering. You will say, God, my God is going to bless you. Somebody here, you have a house. He will give you the address, the street. It's me that prevailed upon him. The Lord said, if you put that house on the altar, within one year, you will not be the same again. How can you be? I've collected your house. <laughs> you carry the paper, do everything. Draw for the ministry. He collects his court and goes away. And then they sell your house. By the time your eye is clear, you now hear, you, you now know that man is a thief. Oh. Eh? Hey, the man is annoying you. You don't know him. That's why he goes around churches. Your house don't go. Because you will not hear for the first six months. After they have sold it, or they have given you the money to borrow from the bank. God will do the house such a matter you can't collect it back. Don't be angry with them. It's God that's collecting everything that you placed your hope in. See, that's what we began to look at. Anytime there's trouble, we try to hide. It's natural. And we must hide. We must hide. We must hide. There's a brother. <laughs> okay, that's why we have burglar proof in all our homes. Two stories that will interest you. Who's to live with one brother in Transsequilu those days? We had a normal home with burglar proof. Chima wouldn't lock his. But he just, just turned the normal. You know the union key? 22, 20, M23H. Those kind of things. M21H. That you can go to the market and buy. You just turn the key. And you go. One day I call my brother Chima. That house has. Just put the bar behind now and hook it with something. Say, Pastor Banky, any tip that can break this door? He has tried now. Have a, let him collect whatever he wants to collect and go. I didn't get it. I talked. One day he said, look, look, I should relax. That he lost faith in all these things. He said, because his father had a friend. The man had everything. Bingo, he had. High fence, he had. CCTV, he had. Electrified wire he had. He said the dead thieves came to his house. They waited on the lift, 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 entered his car. All of them entered the house together. He deactivated everything by himself. And the thief robbed him comfortably. And then they left. 
He said, after that day, he gave, he, he lost faith. He said, if God can't protect me, leave him. Until we left town, that's all he did. Until he left town. After about a year, he left that house. He moved out of Enugu. He said, look, that all these things, I beg, he has lost faith in them. And that brother, they were robbing in his apartment block that time. In New Heaven here. He was living on top floor. When he was hearing all the commotion, giddy, 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 giddy. He said he went and prayed. When he finished praying, he went and opened the door. He said, I bet don't break my door. <laughs> if you want to come in, come in. He unlocked the door, then sat on the table in the sitting room and started reading his Bible. He read the Bible till Monday, he didn't come. He kept on reading. After a while, all the giddy giddy ended. For whatever reason, they left him alone and returned and disappeared. He said, just, he said, just, he said, just pray, say, God, I bet you will help me. He opened the door, he unlocked the door, removed all the things. I'm the one adding, don't break my door. He unlocked the door and left the door like that. So anybody just tried the door to open. And then he sat down and waited. And he never came. What they, did, what they saw or what they did not see, we don't know. But God kept him. See, when there's trouble, we look for where to hide. Like I said last time, we say, ah, this country, don't know where it's going. Now, for your information, that's one of the most stupid statements from the mouth of a Christian. You know why? You are right. You don't know where it's going. Who knows where it is going? Who knows? Who, who, who does? Humanly speaking. No, answer me. Who does? Nobody. Now, why do I say it's stupid? The place where you are going, do you know where it is going to? Or you think Bible story is just folktale? No, it's not folktale. When Lot moved towards the place of Sodom, it was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Goshen. Described it, those who were writing this described it very well. Beautiful. When he left there, he left with nothing. Do you know anywhere he's going? Hey, come on. Somebody showed me the laws passed, I think two years ago, in one of these American states. They said there is Second Amendment Sanctuary. You know what that means? Second Amendment Sanctuary. That is, America has what they call Second Amendment. The right to bear arms. To carry weapons. I've read that constitution. I think they misinterpret it. And they've just, God just covered their, their eyes. They've lived with the misinterpretation forever. But let's not go into, there, into that. How many name of the state? When I saw the things that they wrote, that was signed into law, Two years ago, that's about a year and a half ago, by their governor, I had to ask the person who sent it. I said, are these people normal? That was the question I asked. Because it began to exempt, I'm looking for some of the stuff. So now they are allowing people to carry guns inside a car without a license. So you can enter a bus and carry your gun, no license. Say so we're a second amendment sanctuary. No matter, you know, most hotels, no firearms. He said, no, no, no. That no hotel has the right to put that sign there. You can walk into a hotel with your firearm. Now, school marshals can carry guns on school premises. But then they finished. I said, ah. Are you people serious? They said, this house, this particular law makes young adults between ages of 18 and 20 eligible to, for a license to carry a handgun if they are protected under certain court orders related to family violence. So your father slaps you. <laughs> One guy in America, he came home. 
he pulled his gun, his, his father pulled guns. Yeah. Pua, 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 pua. We began to shoot. He and his father. When police came, they arrested the boy and put him in jail. And shook the father's hand. Correct, daddy. Yeah. He and his son were fighting at each other. Twa, 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 twa. <laughs> his son. In two days, California had two mass shootings. Killed a total of about 18 people in two days. The man who did the second shooting is a 70-year-old man who was shooting people for nothing. They don't know why. He woke up in the morning. I shall shoot somebody. Just went out. Carried a gun. He just started shooting. Finished killing people there. He went to another place. Brought out the gun. What saved people was that one twenty-something-year-old guy. He said, "I'm dead." He said something just possessed him. He rushed the old man. Managed to wrestle the gun out of the man's hand, and that's what saved the life of everybody in that hotel. Then police caught him. And you're telling me where this country is going? Do you know anywhere it's going? Do you know where anywhere it's going? UK school principals came to Lagos last year to come and hunt for students. University deans they are around last this week. I think started this week, meeting with people in different cities in Nigeria. And you tell me you know where they are going? Who goes around marketing school like that? Yeah, they are there. Asking you to come. You come back, the youth is your money. They ain't got. That's the point I'm making. Yeah, it is right for you to say, I don't know where this country is going. The question I just have for you is that, do you know where you are going is going? <laughs> yeah, do you know where you, where you are going is going? You don't know. That is why, people of God, we have no other choice but to dig into the Lord. It's a practical thing. It's a practical thing. It's not just a negative of saying, no, I will not put my faith in something else. But how do I put my faith practically? How do I hide in this God that's a refuge? If you read Psalm 91, just open your Bibles there. We'll read it together again. We just read, which one do we read to start just now? Huh? For the six, okay. Now, one thing I noticed about a number of those psalms that start with the Lord is my refuge. Is that in verse one, God is our refuge and strength? That's for the six. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam. Now, he kept on saying things down there. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. He said, the nations make, made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our stronghold. Now, all of this, he said, it makes wars to cease. He said, cease striving, I know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. All of this began with one thing. God is our refuge and strength. That statement, please read it out. Personalize it, please. One, two, let's go. God is my refuge and strength. We are doing it two more times. 
the last time? It's important. You say this every morning. As often as it comes to your mind, say it. God is my refuge and strength. Quickly go to that Psalm 91. You see what it says there. Now we have done we are done with the negative, that is, putting ourselves away from the other things that we may want to make our refuge. But how do we, in practical terms, make God our refuge? Psalm 91 is one of the most beautiful psalms in the scriptures, packed with promises, packed with the things that God will do for his children. We will not be afraid of the terror by night. He said that no evil will befall you. He will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. He said, you will tread upon the lion and cobra. He said, he will set you securely on high because you have loved him and he will deliver you. With long life, he says that he will satisfy you and he will let you see his salvation. All of that is predicated upon a statement that which just made now. First, David started with this. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Then the next line now says to us, in fact, I think it's Moses that said this. No, I'm not sure it's David or Moses. All right? Next line now says, I will say of the Lord, or to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. That statement is the introduction to all the claims for those promises down there. That is, you first say, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I said Christianity is a discipline matter. You deliberately do it. It's something you do deliberately. There will be times you will have to make, like we say, dangerous decisions based upon the faith that you have in him as being your refuge. I heard the story of um, a man they call Stonewall Jackson. His father did not call him Stonewall. It's the other soldiers that called him Stonewall. That the man used to stand in battle like a Stonewall. He was a general in the Confederate Army. And when they are firing bullets, he used to bother to dodge. Why? He said, I'm as safe in the battlefield as I am in my bedroom, if I'm in the will of God. Basically, what was he saying? The Lord is my refuge and my fortress. That the Lord will keep me in the time of trouble. It's something you do, it's deliberate. I told you the story of when I had to travel. I didn't even know things were that bad. And I was made the offer. Would you like to be escorted by two armed policemen, mobile policemen? And I had my, everybody in my household, my family, my wife, my kids, apart from one, were all inside the vehicle. So I did a small check. I said the road is as bad as people are saying. When they start firing, the Mopo and the people. What happens to me with straight bullets? With my wife and all my children. So I said, no. The Lord is my refuge and my fortress. Now, don't think I... Look, I'm not a gluten for punishment. No, let's get it clear. Don't think I wanted to die. I was trying to live. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Don't think that... See, I wasn't going to pay for the policemen. I was not going to fuel the hillocks. The only thing I would need to do is arrange accommodation for them while I stay two nights. I would even look like a big man because they would carry their guns and follow me up and down. You know, that kind of thing. I, I mean, <laughs> but I was just reasoning, say, oh boy, I want to live. Not only do I want to live, I want all these people to live. 
And I did not understand how to... Now, I'm not saying the two policemen couldn't... I didn't know who and who were on the road. But I just felt that they would shoot at each other. And we would get caught up in the middle. And that's the one I didn't want. So I took a while to go and pray. And when I finished praying, I remember the scripture that everybody in my house has memorized from Deuteronomy chapter 33. And there it says, there is none like the God of Jeshurun or Israel who rides through the heavens to our help and through the skies in his, in his majesty. Said the eternal God is our de- dwelling place. And he said, underneath us, I paraphrase it, all right? Underneath us are his everlasting arms. That he drives out the enemy from before us. He says, let destruction overtake them. He said, therefore, we will dwell in safety or in security. He said, the fountain of Jacob is secluded in the land of green and new wine. He said, his heavens also drop down dew. I said, this is what I will travel with. So when we hit the road, I said, everybody, yeah, let us pray. It was a chant. We chanted this. Let us go. I wasn't trying to die. I was trying to leave. Time to return. I did the same thing again. One day I was on a flight coming from Abuja back to Enugu. I think that was the first time I've been, I was on a flight where the... No, okay, okay. Just thinking of some other ones now, different places. But anyway, this one, yeah. We were coming, JJ. The pilot told us that it's kind of raining in Enugu, but that it will be all right. So I know if you understand, you look down, you know it's raining. You know how you know it's raining? When it looks like heaven is under you. <laughs> Everything is white. You can't see anything below. And after a while, you can't see anything to your left or your right. So the pilots, after, you know, the, journey, the flight really is, is a short one, up to 40 minutes. Actually, from takeoff to landing, everything is clear. 30 minutes with all the other things. So 40 minutes later, we're still, <laughs> you know, hanging around. 45 minutes later, we're still hanging around. After the pilots said, guys, look, let's just tell you the truth. This rain is too heavy. <laughs> that is tired of burning fuel and just hanging around. He has to go and park somewhere and wait for the storm in Enugu to go down. So the man turned and faced away. Now, this is where I'm going. Once he said he's not going to land, he wants to go and wait. See two prayer warriors. <laughs> hey! Father in heaven. I was embarrassed for Jesus Christ. I speak to the storm. I said, you speak to the storm? People that speak to the storm, they usually are asleep. <laughs> you wake them up. This storm cannot keep them awake. I was looking at these people. And they were screaming. The, that is the noise. The noise was louder than the engine, than the turbulence, than everything. Hey, go, 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 car. The one that made me laugh. Two foolish statements from their mouths. I stand in the shoe of Apostle Joshua Selman. On my plane. When did Joshua Selman put shoe? Inside his plane. The second one is, a, I stand in the shoe of uh, 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 Paul Enenche. Paul Enenche was wearing his shoes in Abuja. These guys are trying to lie to me that they had, okay, they had one leg. Okay. I said, you know, some of us think that we are praying like, that is a very bad statement to make. Please, don't make such statements. It's, it's an embarrassment to Jesus Christ. You can't stand in the shoe of Jesus. This is not in his name we pray. How do you pray in somebody's shoe? Are you mad? 
Please, apostle, tell them to stop praying, please, praying standing in your shoe. And listen, if you are listening to me, if you stand in my shoe to pray, thunder will blow your door. Let's leave it there. I won't say more than that. It won't reach you, but that's your door. Or your television, yeah, that's the one that will pay you. What nonsense. You want to pray, ask in the name of Jesus. Please. They were going, after, after, after a while, I couldn't take it anymore. Unfortunately, because of the turbulence, I could not remove my seatbelt. So I stretched. Stretched. I stretched, losing the belt to the extreme. I still couldn't reach the closest one of them. So I begged the guy in front of me, and I tapped that prayer warrior. Tell him, see that noise, done too much. The guy looked like, what? You know, that kind of... It was later I realized that was the problem. Everybody else was just to pray. The guy looked, I said, please, tap that lady for me. He looked at me. Okay, please, tap her for me. Tap her. I said, please, it is enough. God has heard us. Now we need to hear the pilot. And she now calmed down. Because then, of course, the guy was announcing. Because you need know, you know to know what the guy is saying. He was announcing that we're landing on where and all of that. So we stayed there. Oh, I do for like another 30 or 40 minutes. Then the pilot took off again. Oh, party. The prayer warriors began. They started. At, at this point, I was frustrated. They made, uh, you know the one that annoyed me most in the whole thing? What, they said that uh, we come against crash. We, I never thought of crash until they mentioned it. We back, I said, these two pilots are skilled in their job. They are not afraid. Now, I'm not saying that guarantees anything. You were not praying like before you took off the ground. You know, listen, I had almost tapped one of them who were coming down. Say, you call that prayer? No, I call it foolishness. That you are not calm enough to calm the storm. I said, you were not calm enough to calm the storm. Jesus that calmed the storm, they had to wake him up. Before you calm the storm, calm yourself. To my shock, as we were coming down, there's one popular actor who was sitting in business class. He brought out his bag to give money to the prayer warriors. Now, this is what I'm going. You think I wanted to die? No. I had read enough to know that planes don't fly just because they have engines. Samuel Doctorian told the story of how the plane he was in, the engine on his own side of the plane caught fire. And he could see it burning. And the pilot told them there was a problem, so he needed to go and take a turn and then go back to the closest airport. I think they just took off not too far from the airport they were taking off from. So, to go back to go and land. So he had to kill the first engine. They now had only one engine left. So that one has to survive. Anyway, make a long story short. As he was looking at the engine that was burning that they had to kill, he saw under the, uh, the wing, he saw an angel. So he relaxed. He didn't bother about, I bind, I bind, I close, I close, I lose, I lose, I judge. Nothing. He just rested back. He knew that underneath us are his everlasting arms. Many of the prayers people pray. It's panic. It's not praying. It's panic. I'm not saying if you are panicking, you shouldn't pray. But that noise is not necessary. I don't know why people think they have to make noise before God hears them. Sometimes I think it's just show. Pharisaical praying. It's show. Anyway, they are not in trouble yet. They don't believe that there's trouble. Because if there's trouble, I'm not shouting for anybody. 
If there's trouble, I get on my I put my head down. In fact, before I pray for the plane, I pray for my wife, pray for my children, pray for everybody. Then when I finish praying for them, I said, Lord, I'll now pray for myself for survival. Because in case I don't survive, let me leave prayer for everybody. I don't have time to be shouting and borrowing people's shoes who are busy wearing their shoes. And for your information, no, no, no it's, look, there's no lo- lack of love for those men. It's not them I'm talking about, it's our principle. You don't wear anybody's shoes to pray. What's wrong with you? Where do you sit in the Bible? The only people that wore people's shoes to pray, demons almost killed them. You know, you know what I'm talking about. The sons of Sceva. They wore the shoes of Paul. I joined the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Borrow me your standard, Paul. Nine they wore Paul. The demon beat. One demon flocked seven men. Nobody prayed like that in the Bible. That's another aside. Please, people should learn. You know, you don't start doing things that you don't have see anybody in scripture do. When you have come down with all these your concocted deductions, look for examples in the Bible. Jesus said, if you ask in my name. You know, sometimes, you know, some of us go to churches where we, we recruit everybody to pray for us. St. Peter will pray for you. St. Paul will pray for you. The mother of Jesus will pray for you. And you expect answers. Those who are not the Holy Spirit, too. Peter can be prayed the one Paul doesn't understand. No two of them they fight sometimes. Paul, what did you just say about that guy's life? So I'm praying that he will obey the law. And Peter is saying, Paul said, No, I'm praying that he will know that we are above the law. They will begin quarreling on your matter. So I'm going to do some funny things. I heard that St. Anthony is the patron of lost things. In case you never heard it before, I will say to you flat, all those things are pure idolatry, displeasing to the Lord. Don't pollute the name of Jesus. Anything God the Father will not do for you in the name of Jesus, nobody can make him do it. Nobody. Nobody. If I recruit his mother and his 12 disciples, in fact, call Judas back, he will not listen. No, 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 we have to say this thing, because people sometimes just get carried away. Remember, he wants to just recruit people, gang up against the Lord. You think it will work? The time, there was the time this guy was doing it, <laughs> Jeremiah. God said, shh, this, Jeremiah, all this noise you are making. If you like, go and call Samuel. And go and call Moses. I still will not hear. It's not the number of people you have on your matter that decide whether God will hear you or not. I hope you're getting my point. Please, all this one, wearing people's shoes to pray. You know, listen, I have a lot of shoes. They're all in my house. I don't lend it to anybody to pray. Even my children, they only wear it to go and do fashion. They don't use it to pray. So, Give me daddy's shoes. I want to pray. Now, I have some guys. One guy borrows my shoe now. But that guy used to. He has outgrown my shoes. Now I say, praise God. <laughs> a new guy has now entered. But I have to take permission. And now I have to be asking, what do you need my shoes for? Is it for prayer? I say, no, daddy. It's for church. I say, good. Don't borrow my <laughs> The Lord is good. Now, I was trying to emphasize something here. Yes, we hide in the Lord when there's calamity. When there's threat of trouble, we are supposed to hide. How do we do it? Number one, I will say of the Lord. Let's start. Number one, I will say of the Lord. That's it. It's what you say of the Lord. That's the first way you hide in him. What do you say of the Lord? He said, he's my refuge. He's my fortress. He's my God. In him I trust. That is the first thing. What you say of the Lord. 
what you say of the Lord. You have to learn to say many things of him. Now, when you say of him, he's my refuge, what are you saying? For example, they say there is um, economic hardship. Now, please, can I just digress again? There is no way on this earth where you can physically hide from economic difficulty. There's nowhere. There is nowhere. Let me say something to you all quickly. I was speaking earlier about God being jealous. Remember that? Yeah. Let's clarify it. You know, one of the things God likes to do is to show his power. Yes, and I, as I was coming, something came to my mind. I, I had to share with somebody. But let me share with you now. Many people here, you will have, you probably have calamity right now, or you will have. All right? Now, please, don't, don't be scared. God usually will tell you ahead how to come out. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, he will. So don't be scared when I say they will, you have calamity. You will. I don't preach a gospel that nothing ever go wrong. All right? But this is what I want, to, I want you to understand. One of the things the Lord does is to use your adversity to collect you. Now, I'll explain that in a moment. Now, God gave Israel a commandment that if you have a king, he's supposed to study the word all the days of his life. Now, I took something from there. Sometimes to come out of trouble, you will study. Okay? Yes. In fact, what I do for people these days is that I will give you a curriculum. Now, what I want to add to that is this. The curriculum is not to get you out of that trouble. It's for the rest of your life. I don't know whether I get my point. What are my curriculum? Study. Scripture. What God does is this. Say, look at this, my children. I need them to understand, man does not live by bread alone. So every time they forget, they will have trouble. Do you get what I'm saying? That is what God does. Every time you forget that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word. See, the temptation of life is that bread tries to replace God in our lives. What do I mean by bread? You have a job, it's doing well. It's a good job, or you have a business. After like five, six, seven, eight years, you see that God has used that to help you. 90% of the money that you've spent all those years came from that business, that job. Now, this is what that thing does. Subtly, it replaces God as a source in your life. So, what God does periodically is to remind you, I am God and none else. So, what he does occasionally is this. He, now, listen to me. It's not the devil. He will deliberately give you a problem that is bigger than what you can solve. Sometimes, he will make the business not do well. Or, you are an ASU member. You just won't pay salaries for eight months. And God is on your case. He's not, he doesn't care what's happening with the federal government and Chris Ngege. He, I mean, Chris Ngege and um, ASU. He doesn't care. It's just you that he has picked. So, they will try to end the strike. It will not end. Until you recognize that man does not live by bread alone. If a time will come, they will pay that salary. You will take the whole salary. You will dance to you an offering basket and drop it inside. Or you just, somebody say, there's some problem. You just dash somebody out. Why are you doing all of that? I have come to realize that man does not live by these resources alone. But by every word. That the word of God can command resources for me from anywhere. But God had to do that to get you to remember. Because know the truth, we often forget. It's very easy to forget. 
It's very, oh God, look, all you need to do is just supply your needs regularly from a particular place. After a while, you think that place is God. So God will deliberately close it just to remind you. And there was a man in the Bible, Asa was his name. That was what happened to him. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, we read the story of Asa. Let's go back there again. It's one of, you know, one of those most instructive stories in the scriptures. 2 Chronicles chapter 16. Please let's bear this in mind, it's important. I am God and there is none else. He is my refuge and my fortress. He is my God and in him I trust. 2 Chronicles chapter 16. Now, to save time, I'll just tell us the background to it. There was trouble in the land. The Bible says that the kind of distress they had was that there was no peace to him that went out or him who came in. I'm reading from verse, uh, chapter 15 now. For many disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city. For God troubled them with every kind of distress. That was the situation when Asa came and instituted the reforms. The reform was that Asa took all the idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had captured in the hill country of Ephraim. That's northern Israel. He restored the altar of God which was in the front of the porch of the Lord. They did all of these things. In verse 10, they assembled at Jerusalem in the, tenth, in the third month of the 15th year of Asa's reign. The sacrifice of the Lord, 700 oxen, 7,000 sheep, from all the spoil that they had brought. They entered into the covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and soul. Now, they made an agreement on that. And in verse 15, the Bible says, So the Lord gave them rest on every side. For the next 20 years, there was no problem. Now, they did this on the 15th, in the 15th year, remember that. Now, the Bible says there was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. Please follow this. Now, in the 36th year, problem came. The problem was that the king of Israel, Basha, you know, desired to bring war to Judah. And Asa was king. Now, instead of Asa to recognize, because time will not allow us, you will have seen that Asa built a very strong army along the line. Asa had a very strong army. He fortified cities. See, see, there are some natural things we do, all right? They are not wrong. They are just a natural side of what God is doing spiritually. For example, Asa had a strong army. He fortified his cities. Do you understand what I'm saying? But then that was not the source of his defense. Do you understand that? It was not. He had a strong army. You can be a hard-working person. It's not the source of your prosperity. Do you follow my point? You can have a good job. It's not the source of your finances. When we say God is blessing people, it doesn't mean they don't do anything. But whatever they are doing is just the outward play of what God is really doing in the realm of the spirit. So, but God wanted to lift us out to another level. I said you will have trouble in life. Don't, Bible said, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. What happened to Asa was God wanted to lift Asa to another level. And for him to do it, you have to show him that all these things you have, they are not the source of your strength. But Asa failed that test. What Asa did was to go and negotiate. He took things from the temple. Please bear this in mind. I'm, I'm, because of time, we're not reading everything. 
He took stuff from the temple and sent to Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria or Aram. Now, what he did was, the Bible says in verse 2, Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad. Now, he was using holy things to negotiate. See, never use your spiritual principles to negotiate progress. What I mean is this. Don't compromise anything. Let me tell you what Satan does. Satan is very smart. Okay? He can decide to give you a job that you look at you say, maybe you make up your mind that ah, I must hear the word of God every Saturday morning. Every, you know, we meet mostly on Saturday mornings. Alright? Then Now, I'm not saying this for everybody, please. <laughs> not for everybody. They will just say that, look, I'm going to give you a job. Most Saturdays, you will not be available. And there's something about Satan. He has sense. If you are a good man, he won't test you with stupid things. He won't come and say, take this gun, shoot that person, we'll make 10 million naira. Do you look like a kidnapper? Are you a herdsman? You're not. You're not going to do that. So what he does is just go after the things of the spirit that are crucial to you. You start undermining them little by little. What happened to Asa? Asa took the precious things from the temple and used them to negotiate his deliverance. And you know what happened? It worked. And for me, it's the dangerous part of it. It worked. It worked. There are preachers who have changed the pattern of their ministry. Not because they feel called by God to do it differently. But because everybody doing that way. Uh, look at it now. They are building houses and driving nice cars. So they change the pattern. I know the painful part. It works. But what they don't realize is that where God will have lifted them to, they will never get there. Now, I read all of this to show something. After that, after he had worked, look at what now happened. In verse 7, is it, that's the reason I'm reading all of this. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Aram, and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. Did you notice who escaped? Was it, was it the army of Israel? Is the person that helped him that he said escaped? You know what that means? God wanted, because initially, Basha was counting on the support of Ben-Hadad to fight Israel, uh, Judah, Asa and Judah. And God wanted that to happen. So that God would now help Asa and destroy his main enemy at that time, the, the, um, the Syrians, the people of Aram, the Arameans. Ben-Hadad, their king. But instead of him overcoming Ben-Hadad, he turned to Ben-Hadad for help. Oh God, the examples I would love to give, but because we are streaming, let me just leave them. There are things you said you will never do. Then pressure will make you do them. But what God did, what is happening is that you are losing. Okay, let me give an example now. Maybe you don't believe in going to big men to beg for things, politicians especially. Now you are now under pressure. You have made up your mind, these politicians, I will never go to them to ask for anything. Then now you're under pressure. They will now break all the rules and go to a politician. And then they now help you out. You know, you know what I mean by politician in this context? All right? Of course, even all over the world, they're not supposed to really go to them because they're supposed to have some principle. But anyway, you now go to them, you break all the rules, 
you know, and you go. And then you get the money you need. Now, what usually happens at such times that you don't realize that God was trying to see whether you are ready for him to be bringing politicians to be asking you for favors. I don't know whether I get my point. That what he wanted to do was that, look, I will lift you up. When they want to run for office, they will be coming to you to ask for, what do you call that thing? Endorsement. They will be coming to you. Now, what I'm going to do is that you will get to a level where all of them will count your endorsement as a major advantage in winning their elections. But because you threw away that vow you made, yeah, you will still be okay, but that thing will never happen to you again. That's what happened to, him, to, to Asa here. So the prophet told him, now I'm going to re- stop reading from what the prophet said. He said, because you have relied on the hand, the king of Aram, and have not relied, that's what we're talking about, relying on the Lord your God. Therefore, the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. Now reminded him of what God in the past, which is why I'm reading all of this. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubim, an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen, Yet, because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord moved to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. Let me say something to you. Every method you use to get yourself out of your fears... That is not by digging further into God has exposed you to more troubles in life later. You remember we read last time, Isaiah chapter 50. said, this you have from my hand, what? You will lie down in torment. Why? You kindled your own fire. So what are you supposed to do? All right, Because see, I read this so let us understand that God is looking for who he will show his hand in the person's life. Please, I need you to hear that. God is looking for who he will show his power in his or her life. And he said the hand of the eye of the Lord is running to and fro looking for such a person. Who is that kind of person? The person whose heart is completely his. We're back to how we pray. How do we dig into the Lord? It's simple. Number one, I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge. He's my fortress. Anytime there's calamity, anytime there's need, anytime there's trouble, Brethren, before you call somebody and ask for help, get on your knees. Before you get into your own plans, get on your knees. Find all the scriptures and say of the Lord, he's my provider. Say of the Lord, it's my defense. Say of the Lord. I remember one of our brothers told us something. Where they were living, Riverine area, there was a lot of this, um, what do you call it? Militants, you know, Nigeria had a lot of problems for some time. You understand my point? Militants were really causing problems there. So a lot of his colleagues relocated the families to Abuja. You know Abuja? Why? It's very far from Niger Delta. Militants don't cause trouble in Abuja. <laughs> so they were very happy. So they stayed down in Niger Delta, any money there. Family lived in Abuja for security reasons. Within a year, Boko Haram Wala started. Madala bombing. After church service, 30 something people dead. Next thing, bombing of United Nations building. Then the um, IG of police, they almost killed him. Bombed his convoy. Killed a lot of people. Burnt a lot of cars. Bombing this, bombing that. Then they said, yeah. By that time, amnesty had been done. Of course, 
First, federal government forced those people to stand still. Then they negotiated. Then peace returned to the whole area. The Abuja men ran to for safety. Trouble went and met them there. Another wahala. Do you get my point? The way by, but him, because he trusted the Lord, he prayed, stayed where he was with his family. Yes, there was rumor of war and all of that. You hear, you hear bomb blasts. But after some months, everything quieted down and he remained in peace. Those who ran to Abuja said, okay, where do we go now? You know what a lot of them did? They now packed the family and ran to, of course, the easiest one to get to is Canada. And now, in case you want to know it, I will say it. You know, sometimes yeah, as a preacher, you don't want to offend people. Maybe Chooks is your friend. And you know he wants to carry his wife and his children, go and put them in Canada. There will not be any money in Enugu here. And he's your friend, so you don't want to tell him the truth. But you know what I found out? If Chooks gets angry with me, it's his problem. As long as the Lord is not angry with me. If he and everybody on this room, including this bishop, and his wife, and they're happy with me, and Jesus is not happy with me, you know I'm in trouble. So if I keep quiet, he would be unhappy with me. I think you're out of your mind as a Christian, especially a young Christian. When I say young, I don't mean 25. I mean young family, probably in your 40s. To carry your wife and children, go and put them in North America, and you're working in Nigeria to be sending them money. Are you mad? Don't be stupid. Who's raising your children? Who is raising your kids? Some of these women say, you know, they make me, they behave as if, you know, <laughs> what we really believe is temptation that will let us know. Some women, you know, really, when they are here, if you greet their husband too much, you're a woman, if you're fine small, you greet their husband too much, who was that greeting you? The man that was greeted does not even remember who greeted him. He said, which one of them? He said, it was Andrew. He said, no, I don't mean Andrew. Ah, it's Andrew a woman. You didn't say who was the woman greeting me. You said, who was that greeting me? Who was that woman? Which one are you? One of those sisters. I don't know which one now. Uh, the one that had long hair, long nails. Every woman has long hair. Okay, if you have short hair, anyway. Long nails, eyelashes. I don't remember. <laughs> no, I don't understand. Though. They are both in Enugu. Then the same daughter of Jezebel, we leave that man. <laughs> I don't get people. We are together here. You are looking at who is greeting me. <laughs> then you will not leave me behind. Carry my children. Then I'll be seeing the two of you, the, the all of you, once in four to five months. You know what it means? You really don't care now whether I sleep around or not. You don't care, don't lie. What you really, what matters to you? Why were you not harassing me before when people were greeting me? Now, not only will they greet me, they will cook for me. Oh, yes, they are going to bring pineapples. And I won't let them come initially, but when hunger showed me pepper, one day I opened the door. Don't be stupid. Let me say, say, what is something bad? Where you are, something bad will still happen. It's not a curse, it's life. Pastor Craig did something once, eh? I, I tell some of these stories because they are striking. We were together in Akure. The night, well, the week, this was on, election was on Saturday. 
We went to bury somebody on Wednesday. So Thursday, he was on his way back to Sokoto, rushing back. I was coming back to Enugu. Wednesday, I went to stay with my mom. The Saturday, uh, Thursday morning, I hit the road. I drove back to Enugu. He was rushing back to Sokoto. So when he got to the airport in Sokoto, in, in Abuja, all the flights were booked. So he chartered a taxi. When there were no checkpoints, that's an eight-hour drive nonstop. You've not been driven by a driver until the northern driver drives you. <laughs> yes. Now, the way they drive is eight hours nonstop. He said, I need to get back home before the election. Why? He said, my presence is safety for my family. Look at people. I, I don't get it. He said, no. He said, they are safest where I am. So people told him that time, hey, send your children to Lagos. He said, no, if I'm here, let them stay here. Let me watch over them. My presence is safety for them. He said, church, he said you know, Jerusalem, all that crisis period, nobody travels in their church. Pastor is there now. Pastor could travel. He did not. He would go and preach. He would rush back. So they all took faith and stayed with him. Talking about the Lord is our refuge. When Christ was hot, they were in church every day praying. When bombs were going up, 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 up and down in Abuja, in Kaduna, here and there, he said, okay, everybody gather in church. Every day for 30 days, non-stop, they were there praying. Men will not tell me that, uh, I don't know where this country is going. You not carry your wife and your children. I will tell you sincerely. See, if you like it, eh, don't greet me after. I don't even know you. Do you. Even if I know you, I'm not knowing you right now. And if you think I'm talking about you, it's guilty conscience that's talking to you. Please, man of God, child of God, woman of God, be reconciled to your wife. Be reconciled to your husband. Come and live at home. Raise your children by yourself. Tell them that it is an abomination for a man to have sexual attraction for another man. They will not listen to their mother. I know what I'm telling you. Their mother doesn't have the anointing to tell them. Those things are spirits. When you say the demon will run, what's wrong with you? He says safety. I don't understand. What do you call safety? If your road is good, your water is good, but there is no, and there's constant power, but there's no mental, correct mental state. Is that safety? You, your road is good, your water is good, but your head is not correct. People think that safety is only physical. You are a Christian. There are three levels of life's experience. I said it on Saturday for Christians. There's a spiritual level. There's a soul level, and then there's the environmental, physical level. Every single one is important. The most important is the spiritual. You cannot be plotting for the environmental and you ignore the spiritual. Are you out of your mind? When there's crisis, get on your knees and say, God, where is this country going? I don't know. Like one, a, a group said those days, I don't know what the future holds, but at least I know who holds the future. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. You that holds the future, we have come to you. Everybody, you tell them, kneel down here. Wife, children, yourself, sit down. Lord, we have come. We don't know what this country has in store for us, but you, we know. The script, which is the next line, you start quoting the script. No, not just quoting. You soak yourself in God's promises. Let me end it here. We'll continue from this particular point. Everybody, to your feet, and Psalm 91. 
People make me laugh sometimes. So. And you, you see adults make this. I say, are you all right? You know, people make it look as if in those countries around around. See, there's no safety anywhere. Safety is only of the Lord. Two Nigerian boys were walking in a, in, in a club in Canada. They told one guy he can't enter. The guy went back, got a gun, and shot the two of them and killed them for nothing. They did not offend him. They don't know him from Adam. They just told him that you, are, you can't enter this club. Why not? So he left, got a gun, and shot the two of them. I, 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 I don't mean he injured them. He killed them. You think there's safety anywhere? People die in Enugu. So I'm not trying to say that people don't die. We die here too. Do you get my point? But they die everywhere. America has a, an average of one mass shooting a day. It's average. In a year, there are over 300 mass shootings. And they call it mass shooting if it's not done by police. Usually, the law about mass shooting, there are some rules. So, when I say mass shooting, many of the shootings that happen, it's not even counted there. Because it's not mass. Even the police that shot people, it's not mass shooting. If the person shot himself, it's not mass shooting. It has to be that you don't know people. If, if, you, if you kill everybody in your family, it's not mass shooting. It's family shooting. Usually, <laughs> by, by law, they call mass shooting. Usually, like, you don't even know the people. Or you just know them a bit, maybe for work, they just come. You guys sacked me, right? You sacked me, right? If I can't walk here, nobody's walking here, man. Talk, talk. They could be shoot. Now, please, I'm not trying to say America or Canada is bad. I'm just saying the whole world is bad. Nigeria is bad. Ghana is bad. Argentina is bad. South Africa is bad. Do you get what I'm saying? There's none good. But God, the only place where there's goodness, where there's safety, is in the Lord. So first, you call him that name. You are my provider. You are my protector. You are my refuge. In you I trust. Next, you soak yourself, like I said, in his promises. Now for time's sake, we're going to leave it here. You soak yourself, I'll just go through a number of things, I'll read Psalm 91. You soak yourself in his promises. You carry those promises to him in prayer and say, Lord, just say, Lord, do this. See, this is my children. Take care of them. And they are going out and they are coming in. Protect them. Safety is of the Lord. You talk to him like that. Then you lift up the name of the father over the situation. Oh, look, he told Moses, say to Aaron and his sons, thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. He said, when you do that, you will have invoked my name upon the sons of Israel. And then I will turn around and I will bless them. So you will learn to invoke the name of the Lord over situations. You need to invoke the name of God over your neighborhood. Hey, invoke the name of God over your health. People are running up and down. It's okay. One of my friends came. He said, thank you. You know your age now. So I can book a session of this checkup for you. I was looking at him. I said, when I fall sick, I'll come and see you. But you're probing around, probing around this guy's body. Looking for things that are not there. Now the fact that you're not going to the doctor. Does not mean you have faith. It can just be that you don't like trouble. And you don't have money. Which is not my own situation because the guy is offering it for free. When you don't go that way, you must go another way. One day God helping me, I will, come, I, will, I will do a small, maybe a small meeting, one hour. You have to be 45 and above to come. It's not by the length of your BIB. Some of you now go and increase the BIB so that you can. 
I said, if you are not, even that 45 days, just, I wanted to say 50, but let it not be as if I'm just being, uh, I'm being, uh, racism, you know? <laughs> I don't know what else to call it. It's ageism. Uh, let me just, uh, otherwise, I'll just do 45 and above. I lead a group of people that are 65 and above. So the scriptures I read for them once in a while. No, I'll, I'll do it. God helping me. I really don't forget. We just gather together. Less than 45, don't come. No usher self. <laughs> want to tackle the problems. They said that when you are old, your eye will get dim. You become diabetic. You become hypertensive. You have a stroke. We will kill all of them one by one. Some of you now go to court and go and swear after David. I don't agree. Say, so actually, I'm, I'm, 40, I'm 45 and a half. I will not agree. No people can say they are men and they can identify as women. Some people are 35. Said, Pastor, I'm identify as 46. I won't agree. But we'll take the scripture. Take the word of God. Take promises from scripture and base in it. The aim is that we chant them. Everybody go away with the recording and that's your medical checkup. Do you get my point? If you are not sleeping well, you plug it in your ears. You pray to the Lord. You give thanks. Then you recite those scriptures. Father, this is your word. It's not a method. It's the word of God. You're taking it to him. Lord, this is your word. Confirm it in my life. The Lord bless me. The Lord keep me. The Lord renews my youth like that of the eagle. My body is full of sap. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is flowing through me and giving life to my mortal body. That's what I read in the scriptures. Confirm this word in my life, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. You do that in the morning, do that in the evening. That is check up. Dead brain will wake up. If I just by reciting a few of these, some people are listening to me. Kidneys are waking up. Pancreas is waking up. Muscles are becoming strong again. Nerves are waking up. See, understand this. This is life. eh? It's under the control of the word of God. That's why Jesus is not rush. He said, Lazarus is very sick. He may die. If he dies, then go. Eh? Is that the first thing? When I started this thing, nobody was alive. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the surface of the deep. So what are you talking about? Lazarus will die. I am the resurrection and and the life. Say, so if that believes him, even though he dies, yet he shall live again. Say, so guys, I'm coming. I have work to do. Four days after this man was dead, he got there. Lazarus, please. Show, thank you. Out, 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 out. Let's go, let's go back to our program. The reason why he's cried, like I said the other time, just because he felt the pain of Mary and Martha and the other people there crying. What am I saying? I don't care how long the nerve has been dead. If Jesus touches that body, it wakes up. Receive that touch now in the name of Jesus. I want someone to receive that touch now in the name of Jesus. Please let me pray. You are listening to me. You are here. Every cancer cell in your body. Now let me pray for you first. Father, behold your son. Behold your daughter. According to your promise. According to what you did on the cross. You said Jesus took his and her infirmity. Bore it on the cross. And by his stripes, they have been healed. Lord, confirm that word in that life now in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, on the authority of those words, I declare in the name of Jesus, every cancer cell die. Every dysfunctional cell wake up. Every cell in the retina that's not working again, receive life. In the skin, receive life. In the bones, receive life. 
This is our year, Father God, of the miraculous. Of the demonstration of your spirit. It's our year of testimonies. So somebody has been healed, you will share that testimony. In the name of Jesus Christ. So let's read the promises, Psalm 91, quickly. Psalm 91. Read this and then we'll close. Are you there? If you are not there, say just give me a moment. Okay, so maybe I'm the last person then. One to let's go. Will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is He who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions, and under His wing you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night, of the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, of the destruction that lays waste at noon. Let's personalize it. A thousand may fall at my side, and ten thousand at my right hand, but it shall not approach me. I will only look on with my eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For I have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High my dwelling place. No evil will befall me, nor will any plague come near my tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning me, to guard me in all my ways. They will bear me up in their hands, that I do not strike my foot against a stone. I will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and the serpent I will trample down. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set me securely on high, because I have known his name. I will call upon him. Okay, let's do it like this. Let's go back to 14. Now, you can read it the way it is, because it's the promise of God. All right? Because that's what God is saying. But let's claim it. One, two, let's go. Because I have loved him, therefore he will deliver me. I will say this. Because I have known his name. I will call upon him, and he will answer me. He will be with me in trouble. He will rescue me and honor me. With a long life, he will satisfy me and let me see his salvation. Now, if you see, now it's God that's speaking. So we are claiming what he's saying. So that's why some of us are turning it upside down. Let's go over it again. Now, let me read it. Because I have loved him, therefore he will deliver me. He will set me securely on high because I have known his name. I will call upon him and he will answer me. He will be with me in trouble. He will rescue me and I will honor him. And with a long life, he will satisfy me and let me see his salvation. In Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for today. Just give the Lord thanks. Take a minute and give the Lord thanks.